Hi, everyone, and welcome to this introductory episode of the Rejected Religion Podcast. I'm Stephanie Shea, and I'm really excited to finally be producing this content and hope that you will enjoy your time with me. Please visit www.rejectedreligion.com for more information about this podcast and about my background. The website serves as a hub to connect all of my online platforms, so I'd appreciate it if you'd check it out and stay connected with me that way. The goal of this first episode is to reach out to the mainstream audience, those of you who are not scholars or experts, but who are interested in the esoteric or the occult, or are interested to know more about it and the history of it, but may not really have a clear idea of what those things really are. So, what do I mean by rejected in rejected religion? Simply put, what I'm referring to is everything that is considered forbidden or heretical to the dominant religion located in the West. And the West meaning the European and Scandinavian regions, Great Britain and Ireland, and the Americas. The dominant religion I'm referring to is Christianity, whether it be Roman Catholic or Protestant. So, now we can start to think about what might be considered forbidden or heretical. And, of course, one thinks of witchcraft, uh, forms of divination like tarot and uh, astrology, uh, alchemy, and the indigenous beliefs and practices of the conquered peoples in these various regions. Okay, so that's the simple answer, but it's a bit more complicated than all of that, actually. (laughs) But for right now, let's just focus on a few things that will help to contextualize what it is that I'm trying to do with this platform. An important thing to remember is that historically, certain beliefs or practices such as magic, astrology, or alchemy were not always viewed as heretical or forbidden. It was only when the powerful church conquered and ruled particular areas that certain things became frowned upon or even taboo. And as a result of that, these things or ideas never just went away, they just went underground, so to speak. The beliefs that I'm referring to Uh, can be seen as part of an elite or chosen group of people who were deemed worthy of knowing about it. So in other words, the beliefs and practices became a type of secret to be kept. This leads us to some more terms, esoteric and occult. Uh, These words have been used for centuries, but for many of us today, they are vague and difficult to really understand. So let's start with the term esoteric. The prefix eso means inner. This term is referring to special knowledge that is known only to certain people, an inner circle, as opposed to exoteric, the prefix exo meaning outer, referring to knowledge that everyone can know about. We see examples of this with groups such as the Freemasons, where you have to be taught special information and techniques and be initiated into the group. Groups such as these became known in everyday language as secret societies, and due to the nature of the group, they were perfect targets for those outside of the group to speculate as to what they were really doing, and most often this was being seen as deviant in some way. We can see a contemporary example of this with Scientology. 
their training levels being highly secretive and only accessible to a member once they pay for special courses. Plus, this information is not to be shared with non-members because it's a secret, which leads me to the word occult, which simply means hidden or concealed or obscured. So in this case, the information that Scientologists claim to know would be considered occult knowledge. But again, of course, it's not so simple. These terms are heavily laden with bias nowadays, and it takes some time to sort out what is actually meant when one uses them. And when they are used to refer to a category of something, such as esotericism or occultism, things get really complicated, especially in the academic world. To begin with, the term esotericism in English is a modern scholarly construct, and it is very difficult to define. A lot of people have attempted to do so, but the definitions are diverse. Just as an aside, the same problem arises when scholars try to define religion or spirituality. It's nearly impossible to come to a consensus in academia as to what it is we are actually studying. But back to our topic, we'll discuss all these different viewpoints regarding esotericism in later episodes, but for now it's relevant to point out that esotericism is not just one thing. Uh, scholar Wouter Hanegraaf talks about how esotericism doesn't really belong to the areas of religion or philosophy. It's not a scientific approach. Uh, we can't say it belongs to the domain of the arts either. Yet, it is found in all of these areas, even though it's largely ignored. And while the term esotericism is relatively new, being used since the 19th century, many streams of thought that have much older origins are seen by scholars as being a part of esotericism too. It's a term that scholars like to use to label or categorize worldviews uh, and practices. Moving on to the term occultism, we can see the same type of thing happening as with esotericism. Occult means secret or hidden, as I said, and these occult things could be found in many different places, uh, such as astronomy, for example. When a planet obscures the sun, this is known as stellar occultation. So occultation, that, that holds the word occult. So it's hidden. But it's also seen in religion, for example, as the term applies to ancient secret wisdom or the hidden imam spoken of in the religion of Islam. For my purposes here, however, I'm referring to various beliefs and practices stemming from previous centuries such as the 16th century viewpoint of the hidden and mysterious nature of God, uh, the hidden characteristics or features of nature, or the obscure quality of alchemy and magic. This type of knowledge or understanding was not viewed as being something that everyone knew about either. Yet we see a shift in the perception of the concept in the late 1800s when the term occultism was introduced. Now, it was seen as a particular construct that described a type of wisdom tradition, uh, quote-unquote, that had a definite beginning, as opposed to just various ideas or practices that had just been evolving over time or appropriated by other people. Uh, 
and it was seen as a countercultural tradition, as scholar Christopher Partridge puts it. A tradition was needed to establish a type of credibility and respectability that was lacking in the very new Enlightenment way of thinking about the world. So it needed an ancient source to make it seem grounded in something older, like the Christian church already had. But it went a step further. There were those who were saying that occultism was different from religion as it was empirically provable. Because at the time, of course, it was all about the new science and empiricism, and you needed proof of things, and religion was suffering under this. We can see examples of this new occultism with mesmerism and spiritualism. With regards to the latter, people were shown what they saw as proof of an afterlife and a spirit world in seances, where the spirits of the dead would show up to give messages to their loved ones still living in this plane of existence. The Society for Psychical Research was founded in this time period to research this phenomena and to try to gather evidence, uh, such as ectoplasm or witness accounts of objects moving through the air on their own accord during seances, or uh, witness accounts of apparitions of spirit beings, or even photographs of uh, spirit beings, things like that. Currently, we still see this type of thinking in New Age concepts of channeling and spirit guides, as well as those who are examining this type of phenomenon. One can't make the claim, however, that this was seen by most as being proof of something real. So even though they were looking for proof, it, it just wasn't accepted as, as being proof. Which leads me back to the word rejected, but in another form, that of rejected knowledge. This is a concept coined by Walter Hanegraaff. There we have him again. In order to try to explain this modern version of esotericism slash occultism as being all of the stuff that has been thrown into the historical wastebasket, so to speak, by the big thinkers of the Enlightenment era, because it's seen as clashing with all of the standards set by both religion and science. So we can see that this area is still separated from the rational or from the real physical world. It's written off as superstition or hocus pocus gibberish or the ravings of a crazy person or just a bunch of charlatan rubbish. I think you get the idea. Be that as it may, most people associate the occult and occultism with black magic, demons, and the devil, and everything associated with that, which was also certainly rejected by the dominant religion of Christianity. There's more that could be said about all of that, and this will definitely be covered in future episodes. What I found personally interesting to study is how all of the ideas and phenomena I've just mentioned have transformed and found new expressions in modern-day popular culture. Another very interesting concept that I'll be returning to often is known as occulture. 
This term was most likely coined by the late Genesis P. Orridge, who was a performance artist, musician, and magician, probably most well known for his work, uh, or their work, I should say, uh, with the band Throbbing Gristle. This term is a mix of the words occult and culture, as you can hear. It's based in the concept of what sociologist Colin Campbell called the cultic milieu in the early 1970s, which he defined as including things like unconventional forms of science, nonconformist religions, alternate approaches to medicine, plus all things considered occult, and also fringe ideas like alien races, uh, spirit channelers, faith healers, and other New Age concepts. Campbell was referring to modern Western culture um, that is fairly secularized, meaning that while religion is still around, it doesn't hold the ultimate power and influence it once had in society. And due to this, an underground of all this other stuff I just mentioned is added. So in fact, it's all of the stuff that has been rejected. Interestingly, though, all of this stuff has become everyday and ordinary, as Christopher Partridge so aptly puts it. This is evident in the wide variety of TV series, films, books, and graphic novels that are presented to us, and in art and music as well. As the podcast progresses, I will make it a point to refer back to popular culture references so that we can see how a culture plays out in the wide array of topics I'll be covering. And while I'm on the topic, uh, my plan is to provide a monthly podcast interview with various scholars and researchers, and throughout that month, I'll provide information related to the upcoming interview topic on all the social media outlets. I would really like as well for you, the listener, to join my member list on the website so that I can see your comments about things that you'd like to discuss in more detail. I'm continuously trying to work on expanding our communication outlets, so I'm hoping to provide live chats in the future. Of course, once I have enough subscribers and members um, on the YouTube channel, so please, uh, check that out. Subscribe there uh, if you if you find it interesting. Uh, I hope you do. Join the uh, member list on the blog on the website and follow me on all my social media platforms. And that way you'll be connected with everything that's going on. I'm hoping to build a good community of people who are interested to communicate and share ideas with each other. Also, if you have any questions about what's been discussed in an episode, please list them on the podcast page at the website or on YouTube, where I will also upload the episode, of course. For those of you who are interested to read more, I'll provide a list of books and articles that I used as reference material for this episode that discuss all of this stuff in greater detail. Uh, I'll put that on the website for you. All right, uh, this has been a very brief introduction that gives a bit of context as to what this podcast is about, as well as discussing some terms and concepts that are important to know about before we get into the nitty gritty of things. Um, the next podcast episode will be an interview about the infamous magician Alistair Crowley, 
with my friend and colleague, Thomas von Breda, who holds a research master in religious studies from the University of Amsterdam. So I hope you return for that very interesting discussion. Thanks for listening.